Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Rob Breckenridge. On today's episode, a conversation with Canadian actor, singer, and humanitarian Tom Jackson as he embarks on his annual Huron Carol tour. Also, a massive controversy and backlash around a TV ad for the exercise bike Peloton. We'll hear from consumer psychologist Dr. Kit Yarrow. Plus, reaction and analysis after the speech from the throne from the new Liberal minority government. What does this session of Parliament have in store? Before their light, the stars grew dim. And wandering hunters heard the hymn. Jesus, your King is born. Jesus is born. Yeah, that of course, uh, the one and only Tom Jackson performing the Huron Carol. This is uh, an annual tradition, backspanning now three decades. Uh, and what an incredible impact it has had. Uh, and the, uh, really, this is about helping others and the amount of money raised for various charities, uh, across the country over the years, uh, is nothing short of incredible. Uh, so as he does, uh, each and every year around Christmas time, Tom Jackson, of course, veteran Canadian actor, singer, really all around, uh, great Canadian. Uh, he is touring the country. Uh, sharing these great songs and uh, in spreading that that great message and raising all kinds of money uh, for some really deserving charities. Now, just the other night, uh, in fact, uh, Tom is performing at the Bella Concert Hall, raising some money for Alpha House, uh, performing in Bear Spot tonight, Florissant and Pine, raising some money uh, for the magic of Christmas. Now, much more at HuronCarol.ca, also much more at TomJackson.ca. But joining us uh, in studio here this afternoon is the one and only... Tom Jackson. Tom, so great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. It's awesome for you to have me. Have. Uh, well, you get, you get to spend a few days at, at home here in Calgary. You've been pretty busy with, with this tour, but how, how's it been going so far? Well, most of the uh, shows, if not sold out, are in 90% range, so that's all good for the charities that we're supporting all across the country. And I think that it's really important to say that there is nothing that we can do to change history. But there's always been a gap between the haves and the have-nots. Right. And there aren't many mechanisms or vehicles that we can use to actually get something in return or give something uh, that is reciprocal to allow us to serve the need, not only for the needy, but for us who need to give. Right. You know, so it's really, really awesome for me. Uh, but you've been doing this this for a long time. Now, this goes back, I think, about 30 years or so, right? That's right, 32 years. Uh, how did how did this start for you? Um, without it being self-serving to me. I, I, I right. want to make sure that I don't no, sound I, like I'm self I, like, <laughs> Understand. It's not the sure. woe is me. Right. Uh, right? It's woe, it's me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had occasion... To get involved with an organization briefly called Council Fire in downtown Toronto. And the reason being that I had created a situation for myself in my life that was pretty dark. And in my crazies, I had a conversation with the creator. And he said to me, I'll tell you what, I'm going to send you an angel that's going to need you more than you need him. And if you help him. I'm going to help you. Yeah. And I went on a search 
and it led me here to you. And part of that, the early part of the journey was to go to a, an organization called Council Fire, and I met a woman there. Her name is Millie Redmond. And I said to Millie, I said, I need to help. And she said, well, you came to the right place. Mm-hmm. We help people like you. And I said, no, you don't understand. <laughs> I need to help. And she said, well, what do you do? And I didn't have many options. <laughs> right. So she told me that they needed hampers. It was the early days of food banks. And she said they were shy 500 hampers the year before. And I said, well, why don't we, why don't, why don't we go out and buy the food? Mm-hmm. Like, why don't, we don't have to cap in hand and wait for somebody to bring it to us. But the interesting twist of that was um, I went to some friends of mine who were musicians, and we decided to stage this concert, and it was in traditional territory known as Heronia. So okay. we decided to call it the Huron Carol. That's what, where the name came Okay. And we didn't raise much money on the day and we did the show in a in a place called Silver Dollar which is a was a bar that had been closed down but the city gave us a permit for one night to open it up and have this show mm-hmm. but it it raised a lot of awareness in Toronto and people like Deanie Petty who had a, a show oh, yeah. Yeah. and others rallied to get the news out so the next day, which was the 18th of December, uh, I was standing outside of Council Fire, and there were cars and trucks lined up for as far as you could see delivering food. Wow. So that brought me to the realization that one could actually do something if people would rally around the belief that they could make a difference by just simply doing what they do. Yeah. And, and pulling that in the world of change. Right. And so 30 years later... Um, humbly, I say again, it's not me. In mm-hmm. all the satellites and the, you know the different cities and towns that we yeah. go to, we've um, generated over uh, two hundred fifty million dollars in yeah. cash incredible. food services. Yeah. It is incredible, it is. right? But what it tells you is that the gap is still there. There's still a need. Yeah. Right. And so, if you're if you're thinking about this, uh, you know. For those who are listening, if you just think about this for 30 seconds, close your eyes and empower yourself. Just think about this, Mm -hmm. that there are a lot of children, 40% of the people who use food banks as an example, are children. Close your eyes and think about that for 30 seconds. And then when you open your eyes, go and do something for somebody. I promise you, you will never be the same. Yeah, and, and it's really an inspiring way of looking at it because I do think people people care, people want to make a difference. Uh, but but that that feeling of helplessness. What what can I do? I'm I'm just me. I'm just one person. But as you know, you illustrated, people coming together can do incredible things. And the vehicle isn't always accessible to people. So the Huron Carol, the shows, you get to go to a show and you get to be entertained and. Um, as a result of you being entertained and being brought to mind of what what miracles can come about from your presence in that theater mm-hmm. um, is something that is so unique because the, the monies that, that you pay, like tonight the people are going to this dinner 
it's a gala. It's a wonderful event. Um, that money is going to help people. That money is going to lift people's spirits up. Right. What's interesting, too, is, you know, the connection to Christmas and how this is in many ways for so many Canadians a Christmas tradition. And just, I don't know, I mean... You know, this is the kind of thing you, you could do any time of year to, to do this kind of a, a fundraising event. But there is something something about this time of year. What, what do you think it is? Let me give you an example of something. Uh, we did a show in Burlington a number of years ago. And one of the organizers sent me a note. And he said that his daughter was going to be in the Santa Claus parade the next day. And was asking where he was going and he explained he was going to the Huron Carroll to help raise money for the food bank in Burlington. She said, what's the Huron Carroll? And then she said, what's a food bank? And Uh then she requested that she could go to the show Mm -hmm. after the show when they came home because she brought her girlfriend with her. And he said that he heard his daughter talking to Uh, her girlfriend about the parade the next day and they decided not to be in the parade that they were going to make brownies and sell them at the parade wow and they raised 76 (laughs) dollars i always remember this yeah the next thing that happened was they were having a conversation and he overheard them talking about how they could involve their school in helping the food bank between new year's and christmas Conclusion, only God knows what kind of a difference those girls are going to make over the course of their life. Yeah. Only God. For you, um, you know, the, 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 the connection for you to, to be able to, to go on stage, to perform, um, and, you know, maybe people think of you as, as an actor who sings, but what, what, what does this mean to you, to, to go out, to be a part of this, uh, and, and just, you know, the joy of entertaining. There is that. Yes. I mean, there really <laughs> is that piece of this. I don't actually get to talk about that very often. We talk <laughs> about, you know, the cause and, and why we sincerely are engaged in this. But there is that part of being able to make people smile and give them joy and mm-hmm. make sure that, that, that you're, what you're doing, what you're saying is... Uh, you know, becoming part of their being for two hours or an hour or whatever it is, but they can take it away and leave that room w- with something that that you had a part in. Right. You know, it's really it's you know, you know, just thinking about Christmas is great. Singing Christmas carols is great. Yeah. Singing Christmas <laughs> stories is great. You know, being this funny guy is gr- well, arguably, being this funny guy uh, is great, and it's very exhilarating. But what's really intoxicating is the fact that when you actually get in front of the people that you're, that you're helping, not just the audience. Your audience isn't just that audience that yeah. come into that room. Your audience is something much bigger than that. And to actually be in front of those people and have them appreciate what it is that you're contributing mm-hmm. to life is really intoxicating. Yeah. By the way, and I did want to compliment you on your shirt. <laughs> I do quite well, like people. Obviously, people can't <laughs> see this. Uh, there's there's reindeer coming up on one side. Santa's popping out of the the uh, the pocket on the other side. It's uh, I, I'm I'm impressed. You are already very festive, so that's that's encouraging. <laughs> well, uh, uh, to be truthful, this isn't really my outfit. 
<laughs> no. gonna, you probably don't recognize me because I'm not wearing a big red thing with going 240 <laughs> right, miles exactly. an hour into a brick wall and having sticky <laughs> stuff on my fingers. But that because that's from candy canes. Okay. So I again I, I have these great stories, but and they're real true stories. Yeah. We did a show in Winnipeg, and there was a, a gentleman, a friend of mine. His name was Graham Shaw, and he had a band called Graham Shaw and the Sincere Serenaders. Wow. And there's a woman who is in that band who was a singer. Her name is Susan Lethbridge. Okay. Now, Susan was busy with rehearsals, and she had two boys. One was five, and the other was six, maybe seven. And I asked him, I said, have you made your Christmas list? Mm-hmm. And the seven-year-old said, we don't, we don't believe in Santa, that stuff. I said, what? <laughs> what do you mean you don't believe in Santa? Yeah. I'm Santa Claus. And he says, <laughs> no, you're not. And he said, well, I know you don't think that I, you know, I, okay, I don't have the red suit on. Well, today I do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> so, yes, you do. I don't have the red suit on, so you probably don't think I'm Santa, but I can't walk around with the red suit all the time. People go crazy. Yeah, exactly. Right. So come on, make your, do, your, yeah. do your list. Your mom's busy. So I give them a pen, and they made a little list. And now I don't want to talk too much about mm. the Sue thing. <laughs> Sue wasn't, you know, life isn't always what you hoped it would be. Yeah, yeah. And so the band and I decided that we were going to fill that list. And we and she lived in Flin Flon. Mm-hmm. So we made sure that all the gifts that those kids wanted were delivered to her house on that Christmas Eve. Well, that was 25 years ago. I still get notes from those boys. Are you really? Wow. Those notes are always signed at the bottom. Thanks, Santa. That's amazing. Thanks, Santa. So be careful. Yeah. You know, make your list out. Yeah. You never know. What a difference that can make. Have you made your list Sure. Well, I better now. You better. <laughs> I better now. <laughs> Can I send it send to it, you? Send it to tomjackson.ca. <laughs> All right, I will. <laughs> and I'll tell you what. If you go to tomjackson.ca, anybody who's listening, if you go there, there is a gift in there. Really? And you'll find it. Just go to tomjackson.ca. Okay. All right. And by the way, and, and we had a chance to, to catch up last year, right when Cold Pursuit came out. What a fun movie that was, by the way. Mm. Uh, you've also had a recurring role in this uh, show, Cardinal. Uh, so you're still very busy on, on the acting side. What else is going on these days? Yeah, there's a lot going on, both on the acting side and the development side. Um, there's a show that I've uh, just completed the second season of called Red Earth Uncovered on APTN. And before that even starts broadcasting, we're shooting the third season. So that's a good sign. Um, and that's lots of fun. But there's a lot of uh, a lot of projects that I have. I'm I'm... As a result of the cold pursuit relationship with the producers and the creative people there, um, we're in development for a series called Halliot, uh-huh. which when we get all the development pieces done, they're going to order up a script and and we'll go for a new series worldwide. Wow. You know, you get the taste of playing the bad guy, the villain. Yes. Do you want <laughs> you want more of that now? Well, I'm not sure. <laughs> Perhaps you could make me an offer. I can't refuse. <laughs> Maybe I could. Uh, in the meantime, uh, you're getting set for the show tonight, Flores and Pine, uh, Flores and Pine in Bear Spa. And what's what's interesting too about the the tour is that for each show, 
uh, there's there's a cause, a charity, an organization that's that's kind of attached or assigned to it, right? So it's something different each show. Yes. And so tonight it's uh, a charity called The Magic of Christmas. Uh, some more details here on carol.ca, and I think there's still, are there still some tickets available tonight? Um, if people are lucky. good news and bad news. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> the show is sold out tonight. Is it? Yeah. Well, that's a good thing. It's a great thing. Yeah. And and the charity, if you don't know about it, I didn't know about this mayor, the 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 gentleman who owns the restaurant, uh, told me about this. When we decided to do this, I said, "Well, I could." He asked me if I'd just come and play mm-hmm. there sometime. He said, "Well, I could. I would do it if we could find a charity locally, something we could do for somebody. I would do it." Um, and he introduced me to this charity, and it's great. It's like a bus with. It's like it's Santa's bus, not Santa's sleigh, <laughs> and it goes out. <laughs> On Christmas Eve, and it and it stops at people's houses and creates Christmas for them. Yeah. Well, and then after tonight, well, folks in Alberta, by the way, you, you will be back here next week in Medicine Hat on December tenth. Yes. But not before you fly up to Whitehorse. Yeah, we're going to Whitehorse <laughs> this weekend, and then we're going to Medicine Hat, and then Swift Current, uh, then on to Regina, Brandon, Winnipeg, Thunder Bay, and Ottawa, and then back to Winnipeg. Are you getting tired yet? Back well, to Winnipeg, and then know. back here for Christmas <laughs> You're going to be the tired one. <laughs> uh, again, all the details on the tour here on carol.ca, and uh, gifts and more are at uh, tomjackson.ca. Uh, Tom, it's always uh, a treat to have you with us here today, and uh, thanks so much for making some time for us. Oh, no, you're, you're a blessing. Thank you so much. There you go. Uh, Canadian icon, uh, Tom Jackson. Uh, actor, singer, humanitarian, and uh, so as mentioned, he's performing tonight. That is sold out, but if you're in the Medicine Hat area, uh, he'll be performing uh, on December 10th, part of the Huron Carol, HuronCarol.ca, TomJackson.ca. It is the 5th of December. 20 days from now is Christmas, of course. And uh, so a lot of people are out shopping, trying to find that uh, ideal gift for that special someone. And it's certainly something I think the companies really try to capitalize on with advertising that's very much targeted at that kind of mindset. You want the perfect gift? Well, we've got it for you, right? Everyone wants to be that that hero on Christmas morning, Uh, which brings us to this controversy over this ad for an exercise bike. Peloton is the company. Uh, and they sell uh, stationary bikes, but they also sell, I, basically, it's a membership. And so while you're you're riding on the exercise bike, you also got a monitor in front of you. And it sounds like, you know, it's basically like you're in a spin class, I, I think is my sense. So it's it's kind of live. There's an instructor there. Uh, maybe as you, you note in the ad, they might actually say your name at one point, uh, which they did for uh, Grace from Boston is the woman in the ad. Now, by the way, if you think that this might be a great gift for your loved one, just bear in mind, uh, the bike in this ad is about $3,000, plus you need to purchase the membership, which is $49 a month. So just a word of caution. But I think what, what sparks such an incredible response to this uh, is the whole tone of the ad. I, I think this is aimed at men, even though the, the ad largely features a woman. Because the premise of the ad here is that the man bought the woman this bike... And she loves it, and wow, he, he really you know, knocked it out of the park. Except the way it comes across, because to a lot of people, first of all, the idea of buying your loved one a piece of exercise equipment that they didn't ask for sends kind of a weird message to begin with. 
And I think, too, just the way it's framed in the ad, it comes across as though she's really reluctant to be doing any of this. <laughs> at one point, when she looks at the camera, it's almost like, uh, you know, that kind of send help sort of look. So, obviously, uh, we, we don't have the visuals to share with you here through the medium of radio, but uh, here's how the ad sounds. Okay, you ready? Yes. Now. Peloton? Give it up for our first time ride. All right, first ride. I'm a little nervous, but excited. Let's do this. Five days in a row. You surprised? I am. 6 a.m. Yay. Rising with the sun. That was totally worth it. Let's go, Grace in Boston. 50 rides. She just said my name. A year ago, I didn't realize how much this would change me. Thank you. This holiday, give the gift of Peloton. Okay, so people have been going nuts over this all week long. In fact, the backlash was so intense at one point, the Peloton stock actually dropped by about 10%. The company says everybody's misinterpreting this, everybody needs to calm down. But it's quite a conversation uh, around all of this. Joining us uh, for some thoughts, very pleased to welcome to the program uh, here today, Dr. Kit Yarrow, uh, who's a consumer psychologist, a professor, a speaker, a contributor to Time Magazine as well. KitYarrow.com is her website. Dr. Yarrow, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you. I'm pleased to be here. Well, this ad certainly has people talking. I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing for the company, but I mean, what, what was your initial reaction when you saw this? You know, I thought that it was a little bit uh, clever in a weird sort of way. So I think that, you know, a guy in particular, a particular kind of guy, he might look at that ad and think to himself, hmm, I could be the hero gift giver and get a skinnier spouse. (laughs) Let me buy that product. Whereas I think most women looking at that ad would probably think, what kind of doofus buys his wife an exercise bike that she hasn't asked for? That's sort of like the ultimate bad hint, right? Yeah. It's like getting a, a vacuum cleaner, you know, <laughs> right. sort of suggesting you don't get it. <laughs> so, so I think on an unconscious level, the fact that this has been, you know, such a viral sensation, it's encouraged so much discussion, and most of it being negative, most of it being that it's a little bit tone deaf, and it's an ad clearly created by men for men, um, and, and, and would ultimately probably hurt Peloton's um, image with women. Nevertheless, I think on kind of like an unconscious level, um, there's a lot of guys that are going to go for it. Well, yeah, maybe. And, and I guess you think that's who it's aimed at. I mean, clearly the main character in, in the ad is is a woman, uh, and it's kind of about her, yeah. her journey with this, this exercise bike. But ultimately, you think that this is aimed at men. It was. I know for sure that it is an ad that was created entirely by men. Yeah, I actually know that secret <laughs> oh, source. It? Really? And <laughs> yeah, and um, and it's. I, you know, I think given the social media response, it looks like most of the people that are you know commenting on this are women who who sort of are kind of noting the hero gift giver. It's sort of a fantasy in a way. You know, it's like giving your wife a blender, you know, and hoping you're going to get, you know, more things cooked for you. It's, you know, giving her an exercise bike and getting a toned butt for you and so on. It's, you know, if a woman asks for that, that's a totally different thing. And Mm -hmm. a lot of women would, you know, I want that, you know, I want to get healthier. I want to, you know, and so forth. That's one thing. But I think the tone of the ad is I was a hero for um, suggesting to my skinny wife that she should have, you know, uh, um, more exercise. So I think 
I think that's, I think, I think, so anyway, I think it is kind of a guy ad. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. And I think that that's what made the ad seem all the more weird, is that clearly, as you point out, this this woman is already quite fit, and, and she just seems yeah. really kind of nervous and, and reluctant about, about all of this. It just gives it a whole kind of weird vibe to it. Yeah. Now, imagine a completely different ad where a woman who's maybe, you know, 10 pounds, 15, 50, it doesn't matter, but a little bit you know, either either not in shape mm-hmm. or a little bit plump, says to her husband in the ad or her boyfriend, hey, you know what? I, what I really want for Christmas this year, is I, I really want, you know, this bicycle so that I can get in shape. And then we sort of watch her transition. And then in the end, she's really grateful that um, her man got her what she wanted. Um, that's a whole different feeling. And it feels a lot more authentic, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think it would, because, you know, you're right. I mean, ultimately, this is about companies wanting to sort of capitalize on that. I think we all have the desire, right, to buy the perfect gift, to, to watch somebody open a gift, and they're blown away, uh, and, and they'll remember that forever. I mean, that, that that's a powerful message, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I've done actually a lot of research on, uh, you know, asking consumers, what's the worst gift you've ever gotten? And what's <laughs> yeah. the best gift you've ever gotten? And it really what it comes down to is putting yourself aside and having complete empathy for the person that you're buying a gift for. And ultimately, when you get somebody a gift that's perfect for them, that they really love, because you know them, and you've anticipated their needs, and you've sacrificed, you know, your financial resources for their benefit, ultimately, the psychological rewards of that are proven to be higher than if you'd spent that money on yourself. So in a weird kind of way, (laughs) you know, it's both a gift for them, and it's a (laughs) gift for you. (laughs) Right, yeah, and I mean... it yeah. cements relationships too, right? Well, I suppose it is, right? I mean, it's it's not easy to to find that that one big thing that's really going to blow that special person away. But it yeah. it is, you know, the the idea that it's out there, the idea that you know this company can point you in the right direction. I mean, you know, it speaks to yeah. to where there it can really resonate with people. Yeah, we're susceptible. You know, here's a weird thing, too. In my research, what I found is that a lot of times it's not the big thing that people remember. It's the special thing, the insightful thing, the thoughtful thing that people remember. And kind of increasingly, too, what I find is that it's not always a physical product. Um, Sometimes it's somebody sacrificing their time or um, creating something for the other person or facilitating like a meeting with somebody that, they, you know, it, it doesn't actually even have to cost money, but really what it, what it, what it has to have is thoughtfulness involved in it. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. In fact, when I've researched the worst gift that people have ever gotten, b- believe it or not, I had one person say the worst gift I've ever been given was a pair of diamond earrings. And I'm thinking to myself, I'd like that bad gift. (laughs) I mean, what do you typically get? Because, you know, that sounds really good to me. Because, yeah, she said, you know, because actually it came out of our joint finances. You know, we share our money. Uh, We really couldn't afford it. And the gift was kind of designed to make him look like a big shot to the rest of his family and that we were doing financially better than we really were. And she and I got that. I was like, oh, that totally makes sense to me. I can see why that would linger in her mind as, you know, a terrible gift. Yeah, that's a-
an interesting point. And I mean, you know, that that overspending, I mean, that that's, you know, that's an issue for a lot of people, right? They, they feel that pressure uh, that they got to come up with something and people can kind of get in over their heads, can't they? Yes. So 55% of people um, with credit cards say, this is in the U.S., I don't know how it is in Canada, but um, they say that they are willing to go into debt to give um, people the, the best gift possible. I don't think that's a healthy use of your finances. And no. certainly going into debt, especially if you're doing it for your kids, like even more, the number, the percentage is even higher for people with kids. It's more like 65%. Um, and really what you want is a happy, calm, non-anxious parent. But people with credit card debt don't tend to be non-anxious. They tend to be a little more anxious. So if you're doing it to give your kid a great gift, and then you end up kind of anxious about, are you going to be able to pay the bill? I would rethink that whole thing and not give that gift and, you know, just take the opportunity to talk to your kid about, you know, other ways that you can have fun together than by buying stuff. It's interesting, too, the other side, and there were some numbers of this week, these are U.S. numbers again, but in terms of people who are already expecting that they're going to return gifts, some pretty big numbers. I mean, are people more cynical, too, about what kind of gifts they're going to receive? Yeah, Rob, I think they are. You know, I, I mean, I, I saw that study, too. It thinks like 77% yeah. said that they anticipated returning and um, that people are even buying gifts more now, anticipating that the recipient will return it. And it's not just, oh, gosh, I, I guess I need a large instead of a medium or, oh, I wish it had been black instead of blue. You know, it's it's I don't like it. I'm going to return it all together and get something different. So part of the art of giving a gift is thinking about what somebody would want and then, you know, really carefully picking the thing that's going to make them happy. And that's a little bit lost when you just, you know, buy somebody something, assuming that there's a good chance they'll return it. And the stigma around returning is completely gone today, too. So once upon a time, it was sort of like, well, you know, I hope they don't find out I returned that gift. (laughs) And today it's sort of like, yeah, I exchange it for this other thing I'm going to love. So, yes, I would say that to answer your question, I think you nailed it. I think there is like a much more a little bit more crass kind of view around gift giving today. Um, And maybe we give too many people gifts. I mean, I think part of that is when, you know, when our gift list includes every teacher, every neighbor, every, you know, aunt, uncle, rather than, you know, four or five gifts for the people that are really special in our life, then, you know, I can see that. Like if you're giving a gift to people you don't know that well and people down the street, you know, I think we give way more gifts than we used to as well. And at that point, you don't really care if that cousin you never see returns that gift or not. You just want to get that gift gift giving thing over with. Yeah, like it's like it's a duty or an obligation, not not a kind of meaningful gesture. Yeah. So I usually recommend I, I actually feel like at this time of year is a good time to check in with people and say, hey, let's not do it this year. What do you say? How about we go have lunch next time we're together or something like that? And let's just stop with these, um, you know, $20 gifts that nobody really wants or, you know, some people spend well more than that and end up with a bunch of stuff that they end up re-gifting or, (laughs) you know, worse of all, you know, they just end up giving away or throwing out. Yeah, some great points. Much more again, the website kityarrow.com. Dr. Yarrow, thanks so much for joining us here today. Really appreciate this. 
Oh, yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. There you go. It's uh, consumer psychologist uh, Dr. Kid Yarrow. Her thoughts on this Peloton ad controversy and kind of what it tells us about, you know, how holiday ads are targeted this time of year, those pressures people feel when Christmas shopping and how it can kind of get silly, you know, uh, for a lot of people. As its first act, the government will cut taxes for all but the wealthiest Canadians. Give her more money to middle-class family and those who need it most. That was Governor General Julie Payette uh, reading the speech from the throne today, kicking off this new session of Parliament. And as you heard, first order of business is going to be this middle-class tax cut uh, that Liberals talked about during the election campaign. Uh, a lot of talk as well today about uh, climate policy, gun crime, uh, new gun control measures, pharmacare. Uh, those kinds of things. So not a lot of big surprises. But in terms of, of the economy, and, we, and obviously, I mean, outside of Alberta, the national economy has done relatively well as of late. Uh, but there's some worrying signs on the horizon. I mean, aside from the tax cut, we didn't really get any kind of a clear vision today as to the government's fiscal policy, how we're going to deal with those challenges. Uh, how are we going to make Canada more competitive? And uh, in the meantime as well, what about these massive budget deficits that the government's been running? Are we even going to be able to, to tackle those if we're entering any kind of a slowdown? Well, uh, joining us uh, for some thoughts on the direction uh, of the government on these matters, very pleased to welcome the program, uh, Ian Lee. Uh, he's an associate professor at the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University. Ian, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Oh, my pleasure, Rob. I mean, obviously, these speeches from the throne are, are, are generally vague in, in nature in terms of, you know, where the government's going. But uh, what, what did you make of what you heard today? Um, you're right, and I've watched many, many of these. I've lived in Ottawa all my life, and I've actually sat in the uh, the, uh, the the public gallery in my younger days mm-hmm. um, uh, listening to some of these um, speeches from the throne. And I've watched them, of course, every year on television. Um, yes, they're, they're very um, broad and... Um, uh, ambiguous or not ambiguous, but very big picture. You mm-hmm. know, flying at fifty thousand feet. Having said that, <clears throat> there were no surprises. They did spell out the themes that they had campaigned on. <clears throat> so, in that respect, uh, there's no surprises. You know, um, uh, indigenous reconciliation with indigenous peoples, uh, climate change, uh, gun control, and violence. So that the the themes were there. Um, and, 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 of course, the middle class. Let's not forget that and the tax cut and so forth. I think the takeaway, because you are in Western Canada, and I'm very sympathetic uh, to Western Canada because my late mother grew up in Saskatchewan, and I have relatives across Alberta and Saskatchewan. I don't think that there's anything in this, uh, to be very honest, I don't think there's anything in the uh, throne speech that spells out the agenda for the government for the next however long the parliament survives. I don't think there's anything really in it uh, for Western Canada. Uh, the contradiction, and I use those words very carefully, the contradiction between uh, resource development and climate policies has not been addressed. It's quite glaring at one point in the throne speech. I highlighted it in yellow because they're trying to square circles. They're trying to reconcile the irreconcilable. And uh, and I mean by that, we're not just talking about a carbon tax. We're talking about the uh, the two bills that went through the very last parliament, uh, banning uh, tanker traffic on the west coast, and of course the resource, the famous resource bill, um, that is going to make it much, much, much more difficult. Some say it will make it impossible to develop new resource projects. Of course, oil and gas is going to get hit very badly, and so 
where I'm going with this interpretation, the government will say, look, that's what we ran on, which is true. Mm-hmm. So I'm not suggesting that they're doing something that is um, contrary to what they campaigned on. But I don't think that the the huge d- divisions in our country are going to be reconciled in this parliament because this government really is not going to try to reconcile them. On the one hand, they're saying, look, we gave you the pipeline, and they're very clear about that. They are going ahead with the pipeline. But I think, I think, and I've... I devour every word that comes out of my city from uh, anybody in government or the public service and so forth. I don't see anything other than the pipeline. I don't see anything that says that they're really going to, you know, uh, support um, natural resource development in this country, including oil and gas. I think the pipeline is sort of their sort of their bobble in the window. It's big, yes, and they are committed to it. I don't challenge that, but I think that's it. That is it. It ends and stops there. And, and so how is that going to uh, bring us back together? How is that going to address the very, very legitimate concerns of, uh, of Western Canada in uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan specifically? Yeah. And, and, and there are fissures. I just want to mention this, Rob, because you know I think probably people in Alberta probably feel alone and they think that there's nobody else that, is, is, has that shares their opinion. There's lots of people in Ontario and Quebec that disagree with this idea that we should be you know, shutting down the, the, the uh, natural resource sector or the oil and gas sector. In fact, the, the Bloc Québécois leader, you know, he speaks out of both sides of his mouth. He says he doesn't support pipelines and oil and gas. On the other hand, he talks about autonomy for Quebec and he doesn't want the federal government interfering in provincial autonomy. So the takeaway from all this is I think the next two or th- well, probably only two years, that's the typical life of a minority parliament, I think are going to be very rocky and rocky and divisive because they are not able to square the circle. They're not able, you know, if they had stuck just to saying, look, we're going to help people, you know, retrofit their houses and make them super tight, super energy efficient, yeah. or, you know, and encourage efficiency of appliances and automobiles and office buildings and university buildings and school buildings and all that. And we're going to simultaneously not, tr- uh, we're going to continue to develop our resource sector in oil and gas. I, I think that they could, they, they, they could do it. They could square the circle, <clears throat> but they seem to be dedicated to the net zero carbon 2050. And that involves the complete shutdown of oil and gas in Canada. On the competitiveness front, Ian, did, did you see anything here? Have you heard anything that, that suggests that the government is is willing to address uh, Canada's competitiveness, that, that we've got a strategy to deal right. with uh, you know, potential economic slowdown in the next year or so? I, I uh, live literally two blocks, uh, two, two, two kilometers from Parliament Hill. I'm not that close to the downtown of Ottawa, and I went to the Confederation Club, which is one of these nonprofit uh, business speaker luncheon uh, programs, and I saw Goldie Hyder, who's the president of the Business Council in Canada, the largest association of the largest corporations in Canada, right. and he gave an excellent speech, which was widely covered in the media about two weeks ago, uh, addressing the very questions you raised. We've got to focus on our, comp- our declining competitiveness. The Canadian Chamber under Perrin Beatty, uh, President Perrin Beatty, a former uh, cabinet minister under Mulroney 30-odd years ago, very distinguished and widely respected individual in Ottawa, nonpartisan type. And he came out with an open letter signed by, co-signed by, I don't know how many CEOs, saying we've got to be focusing on our competitiveness. I don't see any evidence 
that this government, this is on their radar screen. It, the, the, this is a government that is self-proclaimed and that repeatedly self-proclaimed, we're progressive, we're progressive, we want progressive trade, we want progressive gender policies, we want pro- progressive environmental policies, and so forth. And, and the words uh, like competitiveness and uh, decline of capital investment and uh, declining competitiveness vis-a-vis their, our tax advantage that we once had uh, in days gone by uh, w- with the states, which no longer we have, uh, n- that's not on the radar screen of this government. And and I'm not trying to paint a picture of all doom and gloom. If if we do go into recession, and I'm not advocating it or hoping for it at right. all, I think that that will change because, you know, that great line by Napoleon Bonaparte, he said, nothing concentrates the mind like the thought of being hung in the morning. And when a government is facing, oh my God, the unemployment just went through the roof. Thousands, hundreds of thousands are being laid off. That's when reality hits the road, and that's when they say, we've got to change course really fast. But until that happens, the economy is doing very well right now. They can say legitimately, look, the unemployment's at the lowest level ever in our history. Uh, the economy is strong. Bank of Canada just gave a speech, a couple of speeches, the deputy governor saying the economy continues to be resilient. So as long as that uh, continues. I do not believe that the, the 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 decision makers in the bureaucracy or in the cabinet are going to change their tune and start to focus on competitiveness issues. Even though I think they must, I think it's essential when you look at all the uh, the the metrics and the statistics underneath the hood, so to speak. Declining capital investment in our country, um, you know, the decline of the dollar is a, is a, is an indicator, a clue, and and uh, but they're not focusing on it, and uh, they won't focus on it. I don't think until there is an economic crisis. And I mean, given the fact, and, and really these ultimately were deficits of choice, but they we're running big deficits during good times. Uh, we got a government that's talking about a middle class tax cut, talking about new spending and possibly facing some economic headwinds. What, what does that end up doing uh, to the budget? You're right, and this is. Uh, I uh, gave a speech. Uh, I was invited, uh, which I was. I was. I did appreciate by the Pearson Institute, a nonprofit. As you can guess, it's a mm-hmm. liberal institute. And uh, about a year ago, last January, and on deficits, it, it was an. Uh, they were very respectful to my message, even though I don't think anyone <laughs> agreed with me there. And and I basically argued, look, let's set aside that shibboleth that the federal government cannot afford deficits. Of course, it can. It's one of the strongest governments in the world. We have the one of the lowest debts to GDP, and we do. Yep. So people say, well, then what's the problem? What's your problem, Ian? Why are you so critical of, of, uh, of uh, running deficits? Well, first and foremost, there's no need to run a, a deficit when the economy is going flat out. It's like, you know, driving down the road with one foot on the gas and one foot on the, on the, on the brake. There's no need to have contradictory uh, policies like that. There's no need to stimulate. But there's a more important reason. And this may not be reported out in Alberta, I'm not sure, but there's two provinces that are on the edge of insolvency, in my opinion, and the stats are very clear. One is Newfoundland and Labrador, and the other is New Brunswick. Both very small provinces, half a million people each, and they're aging like crazy. I mean, their average age is going up very quickly, which means health care costs are going through the roof, and they owe billions and billions. Newfoundland and Labrador, half a million people, owe $18 billion. And Muskrat Falls, which is a disastrous mega project damming one of the rivers there, is uh, the bill hasn't come in yet for another $8 billion, which the governor of Canada co-signed. So they're looking at about $25 billion, and the day is going to come soon 
when the premier is going to go on national television, and I testified before the finance committee of the House of Commons only last uh, uh, spring saying this, and others have said so too, the, uh, the premier is going to go on television one day and say, look, everybody, the bond markets will no longer buy our bonds. We cannot pay our teachers. We cannot pay our doctors. We cannot pay our nurses. And Prime Minister, Mr. Prime Minister, we need you to bail us out. And that's why I've been so concerned about the government running these big deficits in good times. They're, they're profligate. They're not necessary. And more importantly, they're reducing our degrees of freedom. When the day comes in the near future when we have to save and bail out New Brunswick and Newfoundland and Labrador, and they're just two provinces, and then yeah. the other provinces are going to say legitimately, wait a minute, <laughs> why are you giving all that money to them? Right. You know, and this is Alberta's criticism. We're carrying a confederation on our backs. And so there's a lot of tensions and fissures and, and contradictions that are not being addressed. I mean, it's been papered over, kicked down the road, and they're, they're, they're doing their, the themes and, the, and addressing the concerns that they think are important, uh, but are, are, could may, I think we will see them as nowhere near as important if we trip into or fall into a serious uh, economic recession or we uh, are staring um, at the insolvency of the government of Newfoundland and Labrador or the government of New Brunswick in the face. Indeed. Some big challenges ahead. We'll leave it there. Professor Lee, thank you so much for your insight. I appreciate making some time for us. My pleasure, Rob. Thank you. All right, take care. Uh, Ian Lee, uh, Associate Professor of the Sprott School of Business, Carleton University. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast. You can also find me on Twitter, at Rob Breckenridge. You can email me, rob at 770CHQR.com. Talk to you next time. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.